So I'm going to try to talk loud enough because I can be kind of loud. Um, recently, though, I cracked my ribs, and so um, I've had to talk softer because the ribs hurt as you get riled up. Um, so if you can't hear me in the back, Kaho, you're back there. Listen, man, if you, if you start feeling like you can't hear me, just put your hand in the air, and that'll be like a sign from the Lord to, to speak up. Glory to God. Um, I didn't want to interrupt Brian while he's, he's doing praise and worship and get up and talk because I'm going to spend an hour talking. Um, but while the, the song was playing, um, <coughs> Waymaker, right? I just had this image of a woman um, in a garden tilling soil, working real hard in the soil. And um, I saw the Lord sitting next to her down on his hands and knees also, and she was down on her hands and knees, tilling in the soil feverishly, just working in the soil, really tilling the ground. And then I saw the Lord over there next to her also tilling the soil and, and tilling the ground. And so just in my, my mind, I'm, I'm thinking with the Lord, what, is, um, what, is, what does that mean? And I, I felt like the Lord was saying that this person is working real hard trying to produce rest in their own heart. And that they, they've heard that there's a rest. And they want so badly to enter the rest that they're actually in the place where they're working themselves to try to produce the rest. And that God was right there and he was doing the work, right, right in her presence. And that the, the power for this person to be filled with rest is to see that the, the father never stops working, right? He never stops. He never stops working. And that's what will produce rest in this person, not just this person, whoever it is. It's almost like you were working the work you were doing. You know, the, the scriptures talk about our heart being uh, soil um, and seed being planted in our soil. It's almost like this person was working, trying to guard their heart from hurt and pain. And that they thought if they could keep their heart from being hurt, if they could keep their heart from pain, that that would be rest. And so it was almost like they were building walls up in their heart through their feverish tilling. And I just saw the Lord next to them as we were singing that song. He never stops. He never stops working. You never stop. You never stop working. Really, and, that, and that's a really interesting thing because, you know, we know about the Sabbath. And we all know that the Sabbath is rest. And we're supposed to enter into the rest. We hear about the rest and we say we're supposed to enter the rest. And what I find is, if you can hear that there is such a thing as rest, and you can hear the Sabbath, you can even hear that Jesus is the Sabbath, and Jesus is your rest. And you can even agree with all that. And you can even think, oh, hallelujah. But you're still not looking at what can bring forth the rest. You're just still thinking there is such a thing as rest. I see that Jesus is my rest, but I don't feel rest. That's the, this person. They've heard this, they know this, and they, they're not experiencing the rest, and they're working feverishly trying to get it. You know, Jesus said something very interesting about the Sabbath in the Scriptures because he was performing miracles on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees thought that Jesus was violating the Sabbath. And he asked them a very strange question, how do you see the Sabbath, right? And Jesus talks to them about the Sabbath himself. And you know what Jesus said about the Sabbath? This is a very interesting thing because it's almost like a contradiction to us, like an oxymoron. Because when they questioned Jesus about working on the Sabbath, Jesus told them 
what he saw about the Sabbath. And you know what he said? I see that the Father does work, and I worketh too. And I've read that for years. But it was recently that I saw that the Sabbath is rest to us, but the Sabbath is actually the image of God doth work. And when you see God in your presence doing the work, when you see that he has done the work, as the dear brother that got up and gave the word, when you see that God's already conquered death in the flesh, he conquered death inside of the flesh when he raised Jesus from the dead. When you see that when God poured out his Holy Spirit, that he deposited inside of you an incorruptible seed. An incorruptible seed, I said. It's a seed that can't be corrupted by anything that happens in this earth. The Father has done a work to get his life inside of you. And he still worketh to water that seed that's inside of you to persuade you that you have an incorruptible life. I mean, we live in this world and we see all these things going on in the world and we can see that there's something wrong with it. And we can find those things can try to torment us and take us from rest. But the Father has done a work. And do you know the work that He's done? He's come to give you of Himself His life. Yeah. Whose life do you have? That's the question. Whose life do you have? Can the world climb? Can the calamity and the corruption going on in the world, can it climb up into heaven and can it take God out? Can it take the Father out? Isn't it what the Father did in the resurrection? Didn't He demonstrate that the deepest, darkest death that could ever manifest in the earth, even should it come upon me in my life? Watch. And what did He do? He consumed it from the inside out. That's what's in you. And so the Sabbath isn't just that we must rest. The Sabbath doesn't come and tell us to rest. The Sabbath doesn't come and demand that we rest. The Sabbath shows us the work of the Father. And when you see the Father doth work, when you see the Father, the work He has done to get inside of you all of Himself, I mean, that's the promise of the Spirit. The promise of the Spirit is the Father promising you Himself. The Spirit is the presence of the Father. And when He promised the Spirit, He was promising mankind all of Himself and the life that He has in Himself. And now He has done a work to get that life inside of us. Right? It's just we're walking around in the world and the world's trying to show us our life and all the things in the world. All the things that go wrong. Look, your life is here. Your life is there. Your life is in this broken relationship. Your life is in this broken job. Your life is in this ailment. Your life is in this COVID. No, man, the Father's in you and you're in the Father. And He hath done a work. And He continues to work to persuade you, to draw you into a conversation, the dance, to catch you up into a dance where He shows you the life that He has in Himself. And he shows you what it means that it's inside of you. Right? Now, when you see that work, you, what you'll find is that something has happened to you. And the thing that's happened to you is you've been put to rest from your own work. You're no longer laboring trying to gather life to yourself. You're no longer living by the sweat of your brow trying to clothe yourself with the fruit of God's life. Because you see the Father has done a work to clothe you in his life. And that becomes a tree of life inside of you. It starts bearing much fruit in you. Is it Jeremiah that says we're like a tree planted by the rivers of water? That even in the drought, the scorching heat cannot keep us from being fruitful? 
Do you know what Jeremiah is talking about? The scorching heat is the tribulation in the earth. And he's saying there's a tree that can be planted by a river of water. And this water is so beautiful. This water is so powerful. There's so much life. There's so many nutrients in this water that this tree will never cease bearing fruit, even should the land become dry. That's us. We're the tree. Right? And we can get distracted. And so the father has worked. He has performed the work already to conquer death and to give us his life. And now he's catching us up in a dance, the dance of the spirit, the dance of the spirit of life. And do you know what that dance is? It's a dance where he's constantly unwrapping the gift of himself and the gift of his life in our presence. Right. And he's teaching us what it means that our life has been born from above. Your life isn't born from this earth. We're in this earth, but our life is not of this world. Right? And he's teaching us what it means that our life is from above. He's teaching us to live by that word about our life. Because I promise you, this world will all the time try to give you a testimony of your life. It will always try to tell you about your life. It will all, and you know what it will always do? One thing you lack. It doesn't matter how perfect you can get your life situated. The world will always come and say one thing you lack. Right? Which is what Jesus told the rich young ruler when the rich young ruler thought he had done everything perfectly. Well, if you think your perfect behavior can gain you life, let me show you one thing you lack. (laughs) Right? Go and sell everything and follow me. Right? You guys follow that? There's a silent word in this earth. You ever hear thoughts? Do you ever grapple with thoughts? I mean, when the COVID went down, did anybody grapple with any thoughts? Where do you think those thoughts came from? I mean, you didn't hear an audible voice, but you heard a voice, didn't you? I mean, one of the voices we probably all heard is, where's your God now? That voice used to confuse me. It don't confuse me no more. When I heard that voice saying, where's your God now? Look at the COVID. Look at the destruction. You know what I said? He's inside of me. Try to bring your plague to my house. Because the blood of the lamb has been shed and caused death to pass over my house. The Lord has made my body his temple. Right? He's come and dwelled inside of me. We are all the place where God himself finds his rest. That's what it says in Isaiah, isn't it? Where is the place where God will find his rest? The heaven is his throne. The earth is the foot, his footstool. But where is the place where God feels most at home? Where is the place where God calls home? Where is the place where God lays his head? Where is the bosom that God rests up upon? It's us. And when you start realizing that God is not a squatter in your house, he's not a vagrant. He's not, screaming, he's not sneaking in the back door and trying to steal food. He's not trying to live rent-free. Listen, in Colorado, we had friends that when they fell on hard times, they had no job and they'd feel sorrowful for a while. And they couldn't get it together to go get work yet. We'd let them come stay for a while. And they lived on the couch. And we affectionately, <laughs> we affectionately called them our couch people. <laughs> 
because we're close. We joke with each other. God's not a couch person. He has not come to dwell in your house so you can tend to him. He has not come to ask you to prepare a table. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. This evil is not lifted up in my heart, for you are with me, Lord. You are lifted up in my heart, and I see you have a life in yourself that even makes dead bones live. Son of man, what do you see? Can these bones live? Thou knowest, Lord. What did the psalmist say? You prepare a table for me. The psalmist didn't say, I prepare a table for the Lord. He said, I see the Lord has prepared a table for me. He never stops. He never stops working. The Father has come, and Jesus is the Lamb that the Father hath prepared for us. It's a table full of life. And that table is here in our midst every day. And every day we are feeding on the bread that God has served us. It's the true bread from heaven. It's the bread that serves an incorruptible life. And every day, no matter what we're going through in this earth, we see that table. We see that we're the house of God. And we see that God came to dwell in us to keep our house. That's why he came to dwell in you. He came to uphold your life. He saw that we were dying in this world. We saw that we were perishing. He saw that our life was but dust and that it was tormenting us that our life was but dust. He knew that he created us never to see death. He knew that he never created us to see weakness, to experience weakness. He knew we were never created to see darkness. And he saw what it was doing to us that we could see all those things. And he said, the only answer is my life because in me is a life that swallows darkness. And I got to get it right to get my life and myself inside of them so I can keep their house. We got this funny thing in the States because we love football. And football isn't soccer in the States. So you guys have to forgive me. If you find that insulting that I call it football, please forgive me. I'm just an American. Well, they have this funny thing when they have home games. They have a funny rallying cry with the home games where the home team comes together. And they start saying, we must protect this house. And it's because this is our house. This is our home. And we will protect this house. That's what Father, Son, and Spirit said. Man is our home. They are the place where we find our rest. And that house, our house, it must be protected. We must protect this house. And now Father, Son, and Spirit came together and spoke to one another. And the Father said to the Son, if you could put on corruptible flesh, if you could put on a body that can die, and you could take the sin and the death that's tormenting our people into yourself, and in the place of taking that sin and death into yourself, the Holy Spirit will dwell in you, and it will intercede in your heart, right in the place where the serpent is tempting you to try to keep your own house. And that Holy Spirit will remind you that I never stop working. And you, if you will call upon my name, and you will cry out, Abba, what will happen is, is I will raise you up from the grave in human flesh, and you will be sat at the right hand, at my right hand, and then we will pour out of ourselves our Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit can dwell in our people and keep this house. They had a huddle. Father, Son, and Spirit huddled up. You ever seen your favorite team huddle up? Right? Does that make any sense? I mean, I just ran through a whole bunch of doctrinal stuff. Does that make any sense, what I'm talking about? Something God showed me, and I love what that brother said. I couldn't see who it was, but I think it was somewhere from over here. That we might see things the way God sees. Right? And 
God sees salvation a certain way. And he sees what he did a certain way. And he had a certain thought about what went down. And that's what I just wanted to share just now, mm -hmm. right? How he saw what went down and what he did to conquer death, right? Death had to be conquered. The problem was never that God was separated from us. God, the person, never separated himself from us. We see him there with Adam. But do you know what that never changed? Adam was still dying. Yeah. He was still dying. And so he needed to be raised up from death. And so the power to be raised up from death is to see the Father is with you. And that you'd see the Father is there with you to work. And then you call upon his name just like Jesus. Father, into your hands I commit my life. Right? You guys see that? I love what Jesus says. I think it's John 12. Where, where Jesus is talking about going to the cross. And God has messed up all my theology. So if I start picking on your theology, I'm very sorry. I'm really not. <laughs> but I, I want you to know that I am kind. And I don't come here just to poke at people's theology. I come because your life is valuable to God. I come because your life is precious to God. And I come because there's certain, certain theologies that are just tradition that have wrecked our lives. But Jesus says, the time is coming where I'm going to be crucified. And do you know what he says? Everyone is going to be scattered from me. And it's going to look like I'm alone. And then what does he say? But I won't be alone because the Father will be with me. We could say a bunch of complicated things. I promise you the only thing you need is eyes to see the Father with you. And do you know what works to keep you from seeing that? Do you know what tries to make us blind to the presence of the Father? The crooked things we see everywhere. <laughs> right? I mean, I see a bunch of grown people in here. That means, oh, one, one young child. That means all of us have already seen a bunch of crooked things in our own lives manifest. You ever felt those crooked things tell you, where's God now? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That when we see corruption and plagues and tribulation, our first thought, the first thought we hear is, where's God now? That's the effect that death has on the human heart. It darkens our understanding. It tries to blind us to the goodness of God, to the presence of God. It tries to tell us God isn't with us. Do you know why it tries to tell us that? So we get busy trying to make our own lives straight instead of beholding the work that he's done to make everything straight. You guys following that? God made everything straight. You're not without shape and form. You know, in the beginning of Genesis, it says, and the earth was void and without shape and form. And it says, God said, let there be light. And then his spirit hovered upon the face of the deep and his spirit gave the earth shape and form. Well, the gospel of John would later come and describe Jesus as the light, that same light. And so Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God saying, let there be light. That released the Holy Spirit into the earth to hover over all of us and to give us shape and form. The Father has made our lives straight. He has gotten His life inside of us. There's a powerful, powerful thing that will happen in you when you become persuaded, like Roshin said, 
that I have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Not I can get it. It's like we look into the earth around us to try to determine if we have all things. The evidence that we have all things is not found in the world around us. You will never find the testimony that you have all things in the world around you. The Jesus is the testimony of God. The evidence, what does Hebrews chapter 11 say? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Do you know that word faith there is not a verb? It's a noun. It's not saying your belief is the substance of things hoped for. In the very next chapter, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, do you know what it does? It defines that word faith used in Hebrews 11. And do you know what it says? Jesus is the beginning and end of faith. So Jesus is the substance of things hoped for. He's the evidence that we have all things, even though it might not yet seem like it when we look in this world. You see? He's the evidence. When you want to find out about your life, when the world tries to come and tell you about your life, and when it shows you evidence that looks real compelling, when it tries to show you that your life is being corrupted, that your life is being stolen from, that your life is lacking, that your life doesn't have what it needs to have peace, when it tries to point at things in your life to convince you that your life is being overcome, listen, what you need to be reminded of is that the Holy Spirit is in you to intercede in your heart and show you the testimony of your life in the glorified man Jesus. Because do you know what you'll always hear about your life when you behold your life in the glorified man, Jesus? You'll always hear, my life is very good. You will never look to the glorified man, Jesus, and hear any other word about your life other than you're loved and that your life is very good. That's why we live by the knowledge of the Son of God and not the knowledge of good and evil. Do you know what the knowledge of good and evil is? Do you know what it is that entered into the earth? We talk a lot about it. I don't think we really understand it. The knowledge of good and evil is that we now know death is evil and life is good. Do you know what that does to our soul when we're trapped in a world where we see death everywhere? It tries to tell us that our life is evil. It tries to tell us that our life is being overcome. And so living in the earth by the knowledge of good and evil, living in a world that has death in it by the knowledge of good and evil will torment your soul. And so God said, I got to give them a different word about their life to live by. That while they're walking in a valley that's shadowed with darkness, that they can have a different word that can sustain them when they walk through this earth. And that word that we will give them will be the word of life, an incorruptible life, a life that can even overcome death in the flesh. And we'll take that word and we'll see it at our right hand inside of human flesh so it can begin testifying to all the other human beings in the earth a word about their life. Paul said it this way. And uh, I think it's Colossians. Set your affection on high, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And why does he say to do that? For your life is hid with God in Christ. Where's your life? It's hid with God in Christ. Your life isn't hidden in a relationship. We can enjoy relationships. I love my wife. I already miss my wife. It's only been like a week. She's a precious, precious woman. Y'all going to make me cry. As great as my wife is, as much as I love her, my life is not hidden in her. It's not. And if I try to judge my life by that relationship with my marriage, I'm going to put a heavy burden on her. And it's going to crush her. Because I'll be putting on her a burden to convince me that my life is good. 
That's where the burdens come from. We, I promise you, I could tell you right now, I could read all of your mail in one spot. Every single person in here wants to believe that their life is very good. Yeah. Every single person. That's what you want. And you're looking for evidence. We love signs, don't we? How many signs did you see on the road when you came over here? They're all telling you something, aren't they? We're looking for signs that our life is very good. And we're living in a world where the serpent has got his death planted into this earth. And that death is all the time trying to show us signs that our life is not very good. Do you know why that death is trying to show us signs that our life is not very good? Because the serpent wants to take us from rest. He wants to get us to start laboring and toiling to clothe ourselves with life, just like he did with the first man, Adam. Do you know, God, you know how God saves us? He comes and gives us a different sign. What did Jesus say? I'm, not, I'm, I'm for signs and wonders, so don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. We'll see some signs and wonders tonight. All of you are already a living, walking sign and wonder because God himself has dwelt in you. That's the greatest sign and wonder that could ever occur, for God himself to come and dwell in your body. But Jesus said it's a wicked and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. And he said one sign shall be given, the sign of Jonah being spit out of the belly of the whale. Well, obviously he wasn't talking about Jonah in the belly of the whale. He was talking about himself being spit out of the grave. Because like our brother over here said, the grave could not hold him. Death could not hold him. And do you know what that was doing? It was testifying of a life that can't be held by death. A perfect life. A life that's been perfected from all corruption. A life that's been perfected from all death. A life that can't be stolen from, that can't be added to. A life that is so much that everywhere it goes, it manifests. The kind of life that was released into the earth in Genesis, that brought forth order out of the midst of chaos, that brought forth everything that exists. We're talking about the kind of life that made forth all the water and the stars and the clouds and the animals. That's the life that God brought forth in human flesh to give a different sign for us to live by. And he set that life at his right hand to show us this life comes forth by his arm and not our arm. And now that life testifies to everybody who has believed on the arm of God that that's their life. Behold your life. His life is your life. Do you know what that will remove from your heart? All lack. You won't feel lack anymore. You'll, you know what you'll be purified from? You'll be purified from fear. Do you know why you'll be purified from fear? Because fear comes from the idea that your life is not very good. And the moment you can be persuaded that you're just not even, I mean, I use the word very good, but your life has been perfected. It's been perfected, I said, once for all time. That's what we struggle to believe as believers. That's what the modern church struggles to believe. We struggle to believe that the resurrection is enough. We struggle to believe that that life inside of this body is enough. We're all the time thinking that this world is greater than the life of God. And we're all the time looking to find evidence that we have life in this world. And we're all the time looking for signs to see, is God with us? You know the sign that God is with us? He raised the man that had sin, our sin and death up from the grave. He didn't have his sin and death. Whose sin and death did he have? Ours. Do you know why he had our sin and death? So it would be a sign to us that he was with us to raise us up also and that we would call upon his name. 
I didn't come here tonight to preach. I'm so sorry. I mean, I came to speak, but now I find that I'm preaching. And maybe I'm preaching to the choir. And so maybe it's somebody else here that are watching that will need to see that. What do you all think about that? Does anybody want to rebuke me? Do you guys understand that? The incorruptible life? That that's what we really want? We, we want to believe our life has been perfected. And we're looking around in the world for the evidence that it has. That makes us sorrowful. It leaves us weak. It leaves us being taken from rest. Where we're not experiencing what the Lord came to give us. We know He came to give it to us. But then we're like, why don't I feel it? Where is it at, Lord? That's why. We live by the knowledge of the Son of God, not the knowledge of good and evil. Because if we're living by the knowledge of good and evil, we're always going to find evidence there's something wrong with our life. But if we're living by the knowledge of God, we will never find evidence there's something wrong with our life. Do you know why? Because there's no spots and blemishes in Jesus. Do you see any spots and blemishes in Jesus? We Jesus is like our x-ray machine now. My mom just got diagnosed with cancer, right? And she goes to get the x-ray. And they're showing her the spots and blemishes on the x-ray. And the x-ray is like a testimony of her life, right, that the world is giving her. But Jesus is like an x-ray of our life. And do you know what that x-ray is always telling us? Your life is without spots and blemishes. Your life cannot be corrupted by rust and moth. Decay cannot overcome your life, right? That's what the Spirit is poured out to do, to tell us that. It's called the Spirit of life. It's called the Spirit of adoption. And what does it adopt us into? The life of the Father. And that's what it means that your life has been born from above. It's come from the Father Himself. Your life is made up of a heavenly substance. It's a heavenly substance your life is made up of. Your life is not just dust. It's not just dust anymore. It can't be overcome. And that's what the Father is trying to persuade us all. That's what the early church knew. That's what the apostles knew. I mean, Jesus even told the apostles, don't go out into the square till you receive power from on high. Wait, he said, till the Holy Spirit fills you. Because what's going to happen when you get filled with the Spirit of God's life? You're going to see you're the temple of God. That's why the flame of fire manifested over their head. They were baptized in the fire of God's life. God's life is a consuming fire. It doesn't burn you. It consumes what tries to hurt you. If you look in the Old Testament, the presence of God manifested as a fire in the earthly temple. And when they were baptized on the day of Pentecost, it was the fire of God's life being poured down from heaven, from God Himself to dwell inside of them. And all of a sudden, those guys knew. We're sealed with an incorruptible life. What can death do to me? And that's why they took to the streets. Witnesses of the resurrection, it says that they were. Witnesses of the resurrection. What are they witnessing of? There's a life that overcomes death. 
And God hath come and done a work to give us that life freely, free from our works. You don't have to do anything for it. God never wanted anything from you. God never asked you to wash his feet. He never asked you to prepare a table for him. He came to wash your feet. He came, I'm going to offend your sensibilities. He came to serve you. I mean, who gave us the lamb? It's called the lamb of God, isn't it? Isn't that what we're feeding on? Isn't that the cup we're drinking? Well, who's the one that gave it to us? God. God will provide himself a lamb. Is what Abraham said. You want to know the good work of Abraham? He believed that God would provide himself a lamb. He believed that God can even raise the dead. That's what the scripture says. Where's the sacrifice, Abe? I like calling Abraham Abe because I feel like he's my friend. Right? And so I feel affectionately with him. I feel affectionately with God also. We get too stoic in our relationship with God. Like, he's so far from us. We, we define reverence in a very corrupt, carnal, religious way. Do you know what reverence towards God looks like? The word reverence in Hebrew means to see somebody as your father. Abba! Reverence would look like running into the house, jumping into the lap of Abba, and pulling on his beard. Because you know there's nothing in him that could ever harm you. And so you don't feel sketched out walking in his presence. You feel free. You feel liberated. You know he loves your life more than his own life. You know there's nothing in him. There's no darkness. There's no death. There's nothing in him that can harm you. And that you revere that. Reverence means to stand in awe of the goodness of God towards you. And then you come and run and jump in his lap. Abba! (laughs) Abba! What was I saying before that? Does anybody remember? I wanted to make a point. You guys forgive me, I haven't been sleeping much. You know, you travel over the pond and things go awry. Um, Are you guys tired yet? Okay, good. I'm going to try and figure this out. Cahill, was it you asking me if I like apple? You and I were talking about Apple, weren't we? And Android? Well, right now I don't like my Apple because my my iPad isn't working right. (laughs) All right, bear with me one second. That was a long word. We talk about words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And that we talk about the prophetic. Anybody ever heard of that kind of a thing? Okay, good. We've all heard of that kind of thing. There, there, There is words of wisdom and words of knowledge. They're fruits, gifts of the Spirit. Well, the Spirit is God Himself. And so if the, the gifts of the Spirit are words of wisdom and words of knowledge, then the only way that could exist is as if God also gives words of wisdom and words of knowledge Himself. And do you know what word of wisdom and word of knowledge God gave us all about her, our lives? Jesus. Jesus is God giving all of you a word of wisdom and a word of knowledge about your life. Don't we feel good when we get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge? You ever notice how you you become persuaded God's there with you, right? That sometimes you can feel like God's not there. I remember when we were going to start the church. I 
I had long since been out of Bible college, like 15 years. And I thought the ship sailed. I'm working at this finance company with my wife. I'm not going to start a church. Glory to God. I'm just going to be happy with my wife and work these nice jobs. Then all of a sudden I heard a voice. It's like I told Cahill, it's the last time I really thought I heard an audible voice. Now, like, like Paul said, I knew a man once caught up to the third heaven. Whether he was actually caught up or whether it was a vision, I don't know. I don't know whether it was actually audible or if it was so loud on the inside that it seemed audible. But I heard God, it's time to get you up out of this place and move back to Slidell and start a church. And listen, I told God, you must be crazy. We just bought this nice house. We have this big mortgage. We got these nice paying jobs. I was like, we would need $50,000 to buy a new house. Who's going to support the church? They, the South is not down with what I believe. They will reject me and persecute me. There will be no support. And I felt real good about my argument. You ever argued with God and feel like you really made your point? And you walk away. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's it, right? Because you don't hear nothing else. So six weeks go by. I think the matter's settled then. The owner of the finance company calls us all into the office, the managers. I worked for a finance company. And uh, this guy says that he's shutting down the company. <laughs> and we're, not, we're no longer going to finance loans. But we're going to collect out the rest of the loans we have. And I, at this point, I'm kind of grimacing like this because I'm feeling confused. And then he says the part that started bringing a smile to my face. Because this was a nice guy, but he had money. Money was his weakness. So he was the kind of person that lived in fear of not having money. So he kind of hoarded it to himself, right? Even though he, he, he had a lot of money. He says, and we're going to pay six weeks of severance for every year that the managers have been here. And I start, I look over at Becky and I start getting this big smile. And he, he was almost like, was it Balaam up there that wanted to curse Israel? But every time he opened his mouth, he blessed Israel. And then he's like, what am I saying? Is this guy, as he started saying he's going to give us six weeks of severance for every year we were with the company, it was almost like he's looking, did I just say that? <laughs> what? I'd been there 15 years. My wife worked at the same company. She had been there 11 years. We got like five times the 50000 I told God we needed. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. Well, so I felt real good because God's there. That's a sign, right? A word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, God's there. You feel juice when you get that word, right? Nothing can stop you. It's amazing how soon after that word leaves, once again, you don't feel juiced. It's not supposed to be that way. We can get words of wisdom and words of knowledge because God has mercy on us. And he'll come and meet us wherever we're at. But God's after revealing the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge he gave us in Christ Jesus. When he came and discerned our life with him, in the face of Jesus, when he come to show us our lives from the outside looking in, and the thing that he used was Jesus, because we all concluded that God had forsaken us. We all concluded that God had rejected us because he hid his face from our union to death. God hid his face from our union to death. He didn't hide his face from us. Right after that verse, he says, with everlasting kindness, I'll gather you to myself. Do you know what the word everlasting means? Without beginning or end. So even when my face was hid from you for a little while, it wasn't me rejecting you. It was me rejecting your union to death because I never wanted you to die. 
And so God's looking to show us our life in the face of Jesus so we can live all our, all our days in this world knowing He's with us loving our life so that we don't get confused every time we see anything. When we start to have our blindness healed, you can heal physical blindness, but the blindness Jesus came to heal was the fact that we couldn't see God with us. God's the most tangible thing in the world. We say God's spirit and we struggle to see him because we don't think we can touch him. We don't think we can feel him. But the word about God was made flesh. And you can touch him. Jesus said, touch me. Feel me. If you think you struggle to see God with you, tell him. Tell him, I need to touch you. I need to see you. Tell him you struggle to see him with your natural senses. But you can see God clearly through your heart. I also live needing words of wisdom and knowledge. And I felt so pumped about that. what that guy did. I couldn't believe it. And that was right before the Great Recession. And so I thought, we'll never sell the house. The realtor even told us, you'll never sell the house. The house sold in 20 days. And so I felt juiced. I told the people, the pastors who ordained us, we're going to start this church. I felt pumped about it. God gave me a word. He told me to start praying Luke 4, 17 and 18 over my life. He started telling me, pray that. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. For he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you, right, to heal the brokenhearted, for the, to, to set the captives free, to deliver those who are bruised, to, to bring about the recovering of sight, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And I was like, yes, Lord. And I felt nothing can stop me. I can run through a wall. All of a sudden, two weeks before we left, I hear a voice. You're not Jesus. You can't say that over yourself. You can't pray that in your life. Well, I don't think very highly of my own ability. So immediately I thought, that's right. I'm not Jesus. What am I thinking? I can't pray that. Do you know all the strength I had to start the church went away? It left immediately. And I thought, I felt so much shame. I can't tell the pastors we're not going to start the church now. Me and my wife, we're just going to go down to Florida Buy, some, buy some, some jet skis and a boat with this, this severance package and we'll just sit on the beach and we'll rent jet skis and do, well, you know, wind sailing and stuff. That's what we'll do. But we won't tell the pastors there's too much shame. So they set up a whole church service for, to say goodbye to me, to get me to tell all of them what we're going to do. I felt too ashamed. So I, yeah, we're going to start the church. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah. Oh, man, Lord, get me out of here. Because you just feel naked in that moment. The insecurity, the inadequacy. And I'm saying goodbye to everybody. We've been in that church for like 10 years. And the whole time I see this guy sitting in the back of the church. We're talking about words of wisdom and words of knowledge and how powerful they are in our life and how God gave us one in Jesus. And you ought to ask God, what word? I heard that guy say, you gave me a word. You gave, imagine God himself gave you a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge. And I don't mean just anyone. I mean Jesus. Ask God what word. You gave me in Jesus. I remember when he told me, Greg, have you ever considered that word? I'm jumping ahead. I saw that guy in the back. A guy I'd never seen before. I've been in that church for 10 years. Never seen that guy once. He's just sitting in the back all by himself. He sits there for 30 minutes while I say goodbye. And I start to walk down the aisle. And he stands up. And he says, I'm, a, I'm from Arizona. And I'm part of the Navajo Indian tribe. He said, well, God told me to come to... Denver for vacation and he, he told me to come to this church he said I came last week and I sat through the whole service and I didn't hear anything 
The funny thing was, I was supposed to be there the week before, but we had to reschedule because we were busy trying to pack everything up. He said, so God told me to come back the next week. He said, so I come back the next week, and I sit through the whole service again. And I'm thinking, why am I here, Lord? What is going on? He said, and then you get up and talk. And you know what he did? He stepped back and he pointed at me, and he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you, for he hath anointed you to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent you to heal the brokenhearted. You can even see my hand shaking because I nearly fell over backwards when that guy said that. He started telling me that it was the exact right time at the exact right moment that I had heard clearly. He, man, he went on for 30 minutes. When you get something like that, the power behind it is you really believe God's there, right? Because the guy could only say something like that by the power of God. And so immediately you feel this intimacy with God, and that's why words of wisdom and words of knowledge are so powerful, right? But you know, that, that's a powerful word that gave me, right? I mean, you would think that would be enough, don't you? I mean, let's just be honest. That should be enough. How many words do you need? I got to tell you guys, don't take shame for this upon yourself. But human beings, you and me, we're a fickle people. We can become very forgetful. There's no shame in that. God knows that. That's why he ceases not to stir us up by way of remembrance. It wasn't six months later and things weren't going so well for the church. <laughs> you think I remembered that God's with me? You'd think I would. Nah. <laughs> no, I don't. Where's God? <laughs> oh, I'm just being honest. I'm just being transparent. Where's God now? And uh, I messaged that guy. I texted him. Brother, I need a word. <laughs> right? He's the prophet. I need a word. You know what he texted me back and said? I didn't think it was a word at the time, but now I realize it was. And I was kind of angry for a little while with God. God doesn't despise you when you're angry with him. He understands what this world can do to you. He, he entered into our skin suit. That's what I like to call it. God himself, the word is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was God. The word is God. He entered into our skin suit and felt all the confusion that can swirl around us. He took the death we experienced into himself and felt the pressing in. His body even sweat blood when he thought about going to the cross. He tasted everything we taste. He knows. He doesn't despise, despise you if you have a fit one day. He's not like, what's wrong with them? Don't they believe? He gets it. He's compassionate, it says. So the, you know what the guy said when I said, brother, I need another word? He texted me back immediately and he said, Greg, you're the prophet. I need the word that's in you. And I just, you guys think that sounds good. That did not sound good to me because I'm, I'm me and here I am and I'm not feeling like there's anything in me. And that's when God started telling me, I, was, I need a word, Lord. How can I keep going? And that's when God said to me, have you ever considered the word I gave you, Greg? And I'm like, what word are you talking about, bro? God and I are like real close. That's what I forgot to say before. You guys forgive me. Sometimes I call God this guy. And I call him this guy because it's like an affectionate term for me. We're close, you know. We're pals. There's no trickery or deceit in him. There's no guile in him. This guy, God, sometimes I can't believe this guy, God, his goodness, his majesty, right? His faithfulness. I can't imagine it. And I'm like, what word, Lord? Because back then, you know, you used to write down all the words. Somebody gave you a word, you write it down, you stick it on the mirror. Don't you know? Because you're not trying to forget. You're going to have it everywhere. 
And I'm looking through all my words. You got them in notebooks. You got them in the Bible. I'm like, what word are you talking about? Where's it at? He said, have you considered the word I gave you in Jesus? And I'd never thought of that before. But the Bible says the word was made flesh. And God gave us all a word in the resurrected, in the death of Jesus, in his resurrection. It was God discerning our life for us. There's Jesus in the midst of our death. Whose death did he die? He didn't die his own death. He died our death. So there he was in the midst of our death. Isaiah says that we hid our faces from Jesus, but that we concluded God hid his face from Jesus. And now we see Jesus. We see our life in him. And we made the same conclusion about Jesus that we had made about ourselves. Where's God now? Because death is certainly a sign God isn't here. And then what does God do? He shows up and raises Jesus from the dead. I don't know if that's not the ultimate sign that God was there. How else did this guy come out of the grave unless God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself? So you could just ask God. Probably all of you tonight, if I stopped and came and read your mail, told you something about your life I could never know, probably every single one of you would feel so close to God. I don't despise any of you for that. But I'm telling you, there's a much more powerful word that will sustain you forever. To where it's not that there's something wrong with getting a word or giving a word, but you won't need one to believe God's with you. I haven't needed another word since that day, since he started unwrapping the word of wisdom or the word of knowledge he gave me in Jesus. The word was made flesh. And you don't need to know much more about that than to say, God, I see the scripture that says the word was made flesh. Lord, I see that you're trying to say something to me through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, right? Help me to hear it. Help me to see it. I want to know it. I want to hear your voice because yes, the cross and the resurrection is a historical event. And yes, it's the man, Jesus, the son of God, the Messiah. It's him dying and being raised from the dead, but he's the word of God. And so the cross and the resurrection is the father himself descending into the earth to speak to us, to reason with us about himself and about our life. And that's the only word we really need. And I find that's the least word we all know. I'm just being honest. I want, listen, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit since I was like three years old. My first word was mama. My second word was dada. My third word was pray the Lord. Pray the Lord. So I've been filled with the Holy Spirit since I was like three years old. I mean, I've been a believer my whole life, and I didn't know what it meant that the Word was made flesh. That changed everything. Right? So I could come and tell you a bunch of things and declare a bunch of truths to you, but I can also tell you to start inquiring to God about what word was made flesh, Lord. What are you trying to say to me? Just add that into your prayers. He ever liveth to unwrap that for you. Right? You guys make sense? I might never get to this message. Some of you guys are thinking, this guy doesn't even have a message. (laughs) He's just winging it. (laughs) Oh... I'm just going to pray real quick. We'll see how much we get through of this. If you guys' rear ends or your derrieres, they get tired and you can't, you're like Popeye. I've had all I can stands, I can't stands no more. You can tap out, right? 
you could say, cry uncle, right? Um, but does anybody mind if I at least start trying to get into this? <laughs> Do you, if you guys want to stop now, we can stop now, and we'll just pray for people. What do you guys think? Okay, um, we'll just pray real quick. Father, thank you that you're in us and that we're in you, Lord. Thank you that you've given us the gospel to persuade us that you love us in the exact same way that you love Jesus. Father, that's the desire of our heart, really, right? That's really what we're after. We don't know it sometimes and we can't put words to it, but what we're after is our lives being shaped by your love for us. What we're actually after is experiencing a life where we're persuaded that you love us, you really love us. Not an intellectual knowledge, but something that's born inside of us that shapes our whole lives. Thank you, Father, that that's your will, that it's your will for us to know your love. And we pray in accordance with your will. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Brian and Roisin, for housing me. And... uh, taking care of me, feeding me, all that, you know. I can't say thank you enough. My wife would thank you if she was here. She'd probably hug you real tight. It's difficult for my wife. She might have separation anxiety. So do I. Um, Cahill, man, what can I say? Thank you for rounding me up and bringing me here. Man, I think about you, and I just get tears of joy in my heart. I mean, you put up with me. Cahill gets Greg when Greg can be aggravated sometimes. (laughs) You know, because I just feel this thing with him that there's no guile in him. And so I'm just honest with him sometimes when I feel cranky. And I just want you to know, man, I love you. You're a brother to me. Um, You're not just some guy in Ireland. You know what I'm saying? You're family to me. Um, All of you guys are a great blessing. And I want everybody to know it's a great honor for me to be here with, with you all. The pleasure is mine, right? The pleasure is to be able to sit here and talk to you all. Because you all are precious to God. You're the precious people of God. The only value in me even coming here to talk to you all isn't about me. It's about how precious you are to God. And I pray you know how precious your lives are to God. That God Almighty himself felt in his heart he'd rather die than let you die. Right? That's how precious you are to God. That he's come to wash your feet. That he's come to restore and refresh you with his presence. That's the whole purpose of the preaching of the gospel, right? Now, we might hear something tonight that we think taught us something. So we might learn something tonight. You might hear something that you hadn't thought of before. But don't get confused. This is not an academic exercise that we're busy with here. This is not like a classroom in the sense of a university, right? What we're doing here tonight is we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. Anytime you're actually hearing the gospel, you want to see in your heart Jesus there and you're sitting at the feet of Jesus and you're hearing the faith of him, the faith that was made flesh in him. That's what we're busy here doing tonight. The apostle Paul says in Galatians 3 that God works miracles in our midst and ministers his life to us, His Spirit to us, through the hearing of faith. And so God forms His faith in us. You know, Jesus in Matthew 11, He didn't say have faith in God. It's a mistranslation. He said have the faith of God. And what that's saying is God came and gave all of us the measure of His faith. And Jesus is the faith of God in the flesh. 
And God forms His faith in us. He forms His life in us. He creates us in the image of Christ Jesus. He forms the very life that manifested in Christ Jesus inside of us simply by us sitting and hearing the faith. And the hearing of the faith isn't just that you got to hear one guy talking. We could be sitting in a circle talking the faith. We could be singing songs about the faith. You could be daydreaming on a stroll with God about the faith. And that's how He gives shape and form to our lives. Right? So that's why we keep hearing the gospel. Right? You be diligent with hearing the word of truth. Not a sluggard. You know, sluggard in the Bible is not talking about you're lazy in the sense that you won't go get a nine to five. I know we interpret it carnally, but a sluggard in the Bible is somebody who's gotten lazy with the word of truth, which means they've counted it as common. Who cares? I don't need to hear it. I know it. Well, the gospel isn't two plus two. It's not an academic thing that you learn intellectually and then you just know. It's an ongoing thing. It's a relationship with God. It's hearing God himself talk, right? And so what I wanted to talk about tonight was, was perfection. And the reason why I want to talk about that is because I see in the, the world, and sadly, I see in the body of Christ. When COVID broke out, <clears throat> I was just leaving here. When COVID broke out, it did not surprise me that the world lost their mind because they don't have an incorruptible life. But I tell you what, I, I really learned a lot about the state of the church when COVID broke out because the church lost its mind. And I, I, I'm not ashamed to call them my brethren. So don't misunderstand me. But what I realized is that the poverty of our understanding of the goodness of God and what he's actually done. And I realized COVID just became another sign even to the body of Christ that God isn't here. There was even church leaders declaring it was a sign God abandoned us. Can you even imagine that after Jesus come to persuade us God's with us, that he'll never leave or forsake us, that the Holy Spirit is even in us, that we see COVID as a sign that God's punishing us? Man, and so there's an epidemic of fear and anxiety in the world today because people are striving for perfection and that's left them troubled and filled with labors and annoyances, right? Not knowing what perfection really is. Not knowing where you can actually find perfection. Not knowing anything about any of that, right? I was a perfectionist. I was. I was the highest perfectionist you could ever imagine. My father was an actual rocket scientist. If he didn't make that shit perfectly, people died. If he didn't run the thing perfectly, people died. My mom was ritualistically abused by Satan, satanic worshipers. They did unspeakable things to her. And do you know what they tried to teach her or groom her into? You must do everything perfectly to have life. God won't help you. That's what they would tell her. If God really loved you, why hasn't he come? And they groomed her to believe she had to find life herself by doing everything perfectly. And so I grew up the son of my father and my mother to perfectionists. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not blaming my parents because my parents never taught me that. I watched them myself and decided that was the way unto life. And if I could just say to kids, listen, guys, we got a bad problem of wanting to blame our parents mm -hmm. for the pain in our life because they weren't perfect. 
Hey, listen, let me be the first to tell you, your parents could never be God. And so they could never give you the life you needed. They could never convince you you were loved or accepted. All they could do is point you to the one who could. And I think as, as children, we'd come a long way if realizing my, par- my parents didn't make me a perfectionist. I decided in my own heart what to believe about what I saw. And no matter what our parents did, and no matter what they didn't do, we decided in our own hearts to believe what it meant. And no one forced that on us. So I'm not here to, to judge my parents negatively for what I decided was the way. But I mean, I was the biggest uh, perfectionist there ever was. I mean, I thought that a good life was found in doing everything perfectly. And I took it to the umpteenth degree. I mean, there's actual VHS video. I'm that old. You might not think so, but I'm, I come from the age where they had VHS video. And they videoed my little brother's birthday party. And it's shameful to look at. I was seven years old. And they're playing games at the, my brother's birthday party. And they're giving out treats. Well, I had to win every game. Because after all, a blessed life is found in doing everything perfectly. And if you don't have perfection and you don't do everything perfectly, then you don't have a blessed life. I'm even on the video. My mom tried to start rigging the games to make me lose. Because I promise you, when you care about winning that much, no one else does. And so you're the one winning. It's life or death, right? I mean, it was life or death for me at seven years old. If I don't win, I'm going to die. And so my mom rigs the games for me to lose. And she sticks me with my little sister who's two years old. And one of the games we're playing is where you run back and forth with an egg and a spoon. And so I zoom down and I zoom back and I'm like head and shoulders around everybody. And my little two-year-old sister, she gets the egg. She could barely walk. She takes one step and drops the egg. Oh, Lord. She doesn't, she doesn't even think to want to pick the egg back up. She just starts running without the egg. Oh, man, Lord, help us. And you'd think I would just be like, oh, she's two. I started chastising her. It's on video. (laughs) Sometimes I want to play it for the church because they think I'm joking about the level of uh, performance that was in me. Then I I started chastising my mother for rigging the games, also on the video. (laughs) I spent my whole life apologizing to my dear mother because she's a saint. And I put that woman through a living hell. And we don't have time to get into that. But... No one was a, a bigger perfectionist for me. I grew up striving perfection for perfection in everything, even little games that meant nothing. And, you know, I took that into my life with God, you see, because it was my life philosophy or my worldview. And so I went with that into my life with God, and I began living with God thinking that if I could do everything perfectly for God, If I could get everything just right for God, if I could pray the right way, if I could go to the right meetings, if I could read the Bible enough, if I could give enough, if I could do all of the things exactly right, if I could just pray just right, do you know what we talk about? You could get the breakthrough. Now I realize I just wanted a blessed life, right? I thought that that's where perfection was, thinking if I could just do it perfect for God, then he'll give me a blessed life, never knowing he already gave me all things freely in Jesus, right? Before I even did anything. I'm living like an orphan, like a servant, when I'm actually a son, not knowing it, right? 
And um, I was always uptight and stressed out because every little thing that goes wrong, it becomes life or death. That's labors and annoyances, right? You become very uptight and upset about everything that happens, everything that goes wrong. And then you start, you don't just get upset with yourself because you start thinking you're getting it pretty good to do it perfect. Then you start getting upset with all the other humans around you because they're not doing it right. (laughs) And you just want them to do it right. You know, the Bible talks about Martha. Martha, 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 Martha. You are troubled by many things. Well, it was certainly Gregory, Gregory. You are troubled by many things, right? Now, the Lord has completely set me free from that. There was a time where I would have been like very upset with myself for going on for 30 minutes and not even getting to the message. Where I would have walked through, what was I doing? What's wrong with me? Did you see me flapping my arms? My goodness. Does anybody even know what I said? Well, there's good news for you because if you don't, the Holy Spirit's in you and He knows all things, right? And I'm preaching to your heart, not to your head, right? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 48, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which in heaven is perfect. Boy, I used to read that and think that Jesus was telling me. The Father is is perfect and God behaves perfectly. I, I always read perfection by behavior. Right? So God behaves perfectly, and that, that means he never does anything wrong. Like we said in the Bible college I came from, you, God never drinks or cusses or smokes or chews or runs with those who do. That's what the guy who started the Bible college I went to used to say, that he never drank or smoked or chewed or ran with those who do. I used to think that's how God's perfect. He would never do that. And so for me to be perfect, I would also have to behave that way. Now listen, that's got nothing to do with that verse. The point Jesus is trying to make there is to the Pharisees. And he's trying to tell the Pharisees, if you actually want to look to your own righteousness, if you actually want to look to your own behavior and your own works, if that's what you actually want to place your trust in to partake of the blessed life, then you will actually need to be the father of lights in heaven himself. You would actually have to be the father of lights because the only way you could actually inherit the kingdom of God is through the perfection of the father to give it to you as a gift. So you want to gain? You think you're going to climb up into heaven and grab on to eternal life? You think you're going to descend into the pit and overcome the grave? Well, listen, you would have to be perfect as the father in heaven because he's the only one who has life in himself. He's the only one that can descend into the pit and conquer the grave. He's the only one that can pour forth his life out of the heaven. That's what the guy's talking about. That's what Jesus is saying. We're not the, dy- we're not the father in the dynamic. We're the children. Have you guys ever thought about that? He's the father. We're the children. Well, in a father-child relationship, perfection for the father looks different than perfection for a child. Have you ever thought of that? Like if you just look in the natural relationship, when I grew up in my father's house, perfection for him looked different than perfection for me. Perfection for him might look like he's going to go work at NASA. He's going to have a job. He's going to work his tail off. He's going to lay down his life for me. He's going to provide for me. He's going to prepare the table for me. He's going to have groceries and clothes and a bed and a house and a roof for me. He's going to protect my life. That's what perfection for him would look like. Now, would perfection for me be me going to get a job when I'm a little child? 
No. Perfection for me would be part, to partake of the life that he freely gives me. If you look at a doctor, we'll use one more example, a doctor and a patient relationship. Perfection for the doctor looks different than perfection for the patient. Perfection for the doctor looks like the doctor diagnosing your ailment properly. It looks like him figuring out the course of action to treat your ailment, to make it whole, to heal it. Well, perfection for the patient doesn't look like you diagnosing yourself. Are you coming up with your own plan of action? It looks like you submitting yourself to the doctor's diagnosis in his medicine and you taking it. But we see, we read the verse, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we think we're supposed to be perfect as the Father, but we're not the Father, we're the children. So what does perfection for a little child look like? Because that's what Jesus is getting at. This is what he's pointing to. Jesus goes on to later say, take no thought for your own life. For your Father in heaven has taken thought of your life. You guys following me? We see another example of this in Genesis 17.1. It's the same language. God's talking to Abraham. And God says to Abraham, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Do you see what God tells Abraham there? Perfection is found in walking before me. Perfection for Abraham wasn't found in Abraham being Almighty God. It wasn't found in Abraham making himself fruitful. God didn't tell Abraham to be his own exceeding great reward. He didn't tell Abraham to make himself fruitful. He didn't tell Abraham to be his own shield and his buckler. He came and told Abraham, I am perfect as the one that will make you exceedingly fruitful. I am perfect as the one that will be your shield and your buckler. I am perfect as the one that will give you the reward of life. Walk before me, which means to behold my perfection towards you, and you will inherit all these things. And so you see, perfection for Abraham wasn't for him to bring forth fruit. In fact, the reason why God comes and says to Abraham... I am the Almighty God, walk before me, and that will perfect you, is because Abraham thought he could make himself fruitful. He went off and tried to bring forth the promised seed through Hagar. And so Abraham thought perfection was found in his own ability. I will make myself fruitful. I will be my own reward. I will be my, I will be my own shield and my own buckler. And then God comes and says, listen, bro, that's not how you're going to find those things happening for you. You're going to behold my perfection towards you to give it to you as a gift. And as you walk in this world, not trying to be faithful to me, but beholding my faithfulness to you, you will find my life manifesting and coming forth in you. We talk all the time about faithful Abraham. Abraham wasn't faithful. Abraham saw God's faithful. That's the good thing Abraham did. But we want to talk about how faithful the Old Testament saints are. If only we could be faithful like them. Well, David talks about faithfulness after he goes off with Bathsheba. You guys know the story? And he has a baby. The little baby dies. Right? And David prays. You know, you read in the Psalms around that account. Do you know what David says 
It's a powerful psalm, what he says there. It really challenges a lot of our theology. Yea, even though I make my bed in hell, you are with me, Lord. That's what David said. And David was talking about the death he brought to his house because of what he did with Uriah and Bathsheba. And he says, even though I brought death to my house, you are with me, Lord. Do you see the, what, what we want to call faith, faithfulness? David saw God was faithful. And David saw that his faithfulness was his dirty rags. Yet I, David knew, while I remained unfaithful, while I was unfaithful, you are faithful, God. You guys follow me? So God's not looking for you to be perfect in the same way he's perfect. He's not looking for you to be father. He's not looking for you to clean yourself up or make yourself fruitful. He's not wanting you to be the father of your own life. He knows he's the only one who has life in himself. He's not telling dust to bring forth life. He's telling dust, I promise to bring forth life in you. That's what he's saying, right? So that's what perfection for us, from God's perspective. If God wanted to come and define perfection for us, he would come and tell us, perfection for you is to know me as Father. Perfection for you is to not think about what you can do perfectly or how can you behave perfectly or how can you be faithful. Perfection for you is to behold the faithfulness of God towards your life. Where that's all you're thinking of, that God is faithful, right? And you realize He's so faithful that nothing can get in His way. Right? So perfection for us looks like living as little children. Do you know what little children are doing? We talk all the time about a little child when their innocence is stolen. And we say that they, the cares of the world came to them and stole their innocence. What does that mean? They've been confronted with life and they're busy trying to carry the burden of life as a little child. So what did Jesus say about inheriting the kingdom of God? Unless you become as little children. Well, what is a little child always doing whenever they need something or whenever something bad happens or whenever their life is harmed? Daddy. They're immediately running into the arms of daddy. Do you know why? Because daddy will make it better. Daddy will make it good. When I was a little boy, we learned to ride a two-wheeler with training wheels. And then they took the, the wheels off the bike. And the first time, I didn't make it. I smashed into a car. And I started bleeding out in my leg no one had to tell me to run to daddy immediately I popped up and started crying for daddy see I was a little child I knew that daddy would make it better I knew that daddy was faithful towards my life I knew that daddy rather die himself than let me hurt I didn't have any thoughts about, look what I did. Look how I wrecked into that car. Look how I wrecked the bike. Look how I didn't do it perfectly. All I could think about is that daddy loves me. Daddy is perfect. Daddy will make it right. And I ran into his arms. There's a reason why we call it father wounds. Because we grow up thinking daddy's perfect, right? When you're a little kid, you see daddy. It's like a testimony of God, though. And then the second our earthly father fails, we, we get distraught. But something about your heavenly father is he'll never fail you. He can't fail you. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1 says this, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, 
not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. You see what he says? Let us go on unto perfection. Do you know what those guys in the letter of the Hebrews were doing? They were performing the works of the law. And they were doing the works of the law, trying to perfect themselves from sin and death. And the author of Hebrews is coming saying, listen guys, God has provided himself a lamb to perfect your life from sin and death once for all time. He hath sanctified you. He has set you apart from the death in this world unto his life. Once for all time, he provided a lamb. You have been perfected. Let us move on to the place where we behold what God has done to perfect us from sin and death. That's perfection. Where you see God provided himself a lamb. God has cleansed me. This world can't defile me anymore. You know, one of the worst things we've done in our theology, are you guys still okay? Yeah. It's getting late. Are y'all still okay? Yeah. One of the worst things we've done in our theology is separated Jesus from the Father at the cross. Yeah. I don't know if you guys realize it, but you're supposed to see God at the cross because it's supposed to be a sign of how faithful He is to your life. It's actually supposed to put his faithfulness on display and test it. It tests the height, the length, the breadth, the width of his love for us. Right? Do you know why? Look what we did to the God of all glory. And I don't mean you or me. I mean mankind. The God of all glory entered into the earth. Did he do anything bad to anyone? No, he only came and did good to everybody, didn't he? Do you know he came to save us all? And do you know what we did to him? Not you and me. Just bear with me, mankind. I'm not trying to put some guilt trip on you. This isn't about how bad we've been. But it is about displaying how beautiful the faithfulness of God is. That's God. Jesus is God. Did Jesus, is, am I making this up or did Jesus say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? Well, did that only apply up until the cross? It's funny how we do that, though, isn't it? We, we, if I come in here and tell you all Jesus is God, all of you will say, Amen! Jesus is God. You would all be, that's right. The Word, the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's right. Jesus is God. Before Abraham was, I am. He's God. But now I come and tell you that's God on the cross, and all of a sudden you become confused. What? What? That's God? What are you talking about? That's God on the cross. You think we're tempting God to be done with us when we strip him naked and we put a crown of thorns on his head and we flog him and we mock him and we spit on him and then we fashion a wooden cross and nail him to it? Do you think if there was any ability in God to turn his back on us, he wouldn't have done it then? Do you know what he did when we smacked him across one side of the cheek? He turned and gave us the other one. Do you know what he did when we despitefully used him? He prayed for us. Do you know what he did when we cursed him? He blessed us. Do you know what he did when we stripped him naked? He went up into the heavenly place and got the robe of his life, the robe of his righteousness to come and give it to us. 
This is a powerful verse, Acts 20, 28. You guys can write this down and go read it for yourself. Listen to what it says. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God. To feed the church of God. This is the critical part. To feed the church of God which He has purchased with His own blood. I'm going to read that again. Because we got Jesus doing this awesome thing, but somehow we don't see that's God. And we separate the two. That's God Almighty who shed His blood for us. That's God Almighty that when He thought of us dying, thought He'd rather take our death into Himself. That's God Almighty shedding His blood. It's God Almighty that when we stripped Him naked and rejected Him, He embraced us and said, I know, it's okay. It's God Almighty that was so perfect towards us, that was so faithful towards us, that when we gave Him all the evil, all the hatred, all the pain, all the confusion, all the backbiting that was inside of us, all the hurt, all the death, all the sin that was in us, when God Almighty came to save us, we emptied all that onto Him. And do you know what He did? He gave us good for the evil we gave Him. Because He loves our lives more than His own. Because He could never deny the love He feels in His heart for us. He couldn't deny it. He remained faithful to us even when we were unfaithful to Him. You can't become more unfaithful than that. It says that Christ laid down His life while we were yet ungodly. That's God. That's God faithful towards our lives. That's God not able to deny the love He feels in His heart for us. It didn't matter what we did to Him. It didn't matter how unfaithful we were to Him. He couldn't deny the love in His own heart, and He'd rather die than leave us in the grave. You might think, how can God die? Well, the Bible says that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so God can't die, but God put on a body that could die. And Peter says that Jesus took death into his body. He was put to death in the flesh. So God, who can't die, he's an incorruptible seed. He put on a skin suit like ours that could die. And that's how he tasted death. And he did all that so he could create a new life for us. I remember when I was a teenager and I was a young man, I dwelled in a lot of confusion. I was addicted to drugs. I even died on a hospital bed eight or nine times from a a drug overdose. I flatlined eight or nine times. They had to paddle me up. (laughs) And I hated my father because as so many kids do, they blame their parents for their hurt because they're confused. They don't know. They just know they feel hurt. And he was an easy target, right? Because he never fought back. He never accused me back. He never blamed me back. Do you know when I woke up that morning finally from the drug overdose and almost dying, my dad was sitting there. And do you know, I was so full of death. The same kind of death that was in the world when Jesus came and we crucified him. I was so full of death that I look over to this guy who'd sat in the emergency room all night with a buzzer because they said, we can't sit in here all night with your son. We got other people. He's going to flatline all night. Every time you hear the flatline, ring the buzzer and we'll come in and shock him back. 
He sat in there all night doing that. You know what I woke up? You'd think I'd be repented at that point, huh? I woke up, you know what I said to him? What the hell is your problem? He never spoke evil of me. He never said one word about any of it. To this day, he's never said one word against my person. You see, and he taught me more about the love of God than anything could have ever taught me other than God himself. And you see, that's what God, that's the love that's in God. Even when we nailed God to a tree, he couldn't deny his love for us. That perfection for us means to see that. To see this guy so faithful towards us that even if we nail him to a tree, he will lay down. He will shed his own blood for us. Only a father would lay down their life for their children. Only a father would lay down their life for their children. You see it all the time. You don't see the kids laying down their life. You know, to this day, my parents still serve me. I'm not serving them. Those of you that have kids, you know. You guys following that? You see how faithful God is to your life? Do you see how there's nothing you can do to turn God from wanting to love you unto life? There's nothing you can do to move God off of his disposition, that he wants to love you unto life. He will keep pursuing you. He will pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. He will pursue you to the very last moment. He will pursue you to the very last moment and tell you, I don't want you to die. I never wanted anything from you. I never asked anything from you. All I've been wanting to do is get my life inside of you. Take my hand. I don't want you to die. So perfection, guys, it isn't found in behaving perfectly. God's not looking for you to behave perfectly. I promise you. Do you know why? He's perfect. If you're perfect, you're not needing anyone else to be perfect like you. What you're needing to do is to serve them with your perfection. And you're just trying to get them to see that you're perfect. Because then you'll walk before them in their perfection all the days of your life. Do you know what God's will is for your life? Listen, man, I'm preaching the gospel. And God may have put a gift in me to preach the gospel. But my life is much more valuable to God than just for me to preach the gospel. God's will for my life is that I could live and not die. And he's so faithful towards my life to save me from this world that he even came into the world. And when we all rejected him, shed his own blood to still redeem me from death. That's God. So walk before God. That's where perfection is found. Walk before God and your, your desire for perfection will be satisfied. Look unto Him, God, and how God shed His own blood for you. The scripture says, what does Abraham say? It's interesting words Abraham uses. God will provide Himself a lamb. Himself a lamb. So God never demanded a sacrifice from us. Jesus even sees that in the scriptures. Sacrifices and offerings you never desired. You never wanted us to offer those things. You showed us those things so that we would see you were going to provide yourself as a lamb. And that we could walk before your perfection and your love and your faithfulness towards our lives. <sighs> if you have an anger problem, God's your father. 
And he wants to be the father of your life. And he wants to come and set you free from that anger. He doesn't want anything from you. He doesn't want you to fix your anger and then come to him. He wants you just to come to him so he can persuade you that him who was stealing from you, that was making you angry, cannot steal from you anymore. If you got a problem with sexual sin, if you got a problem with that, listen, man, God wants to be your father. He's not ashamed to call you his own. He had no shame in standing with the woman caught in the act of adultery. He had no problem standing next to her and calling her his own. He's not ashamed of you. He's got no problem standing with you. He's your father. He wants to be the father of your life. He wants to minister to you his life so that your heart can be filled with abundance and your flesh can be put to rest. He knows he's the healer. He doesn't despise you for needing to be healed. It's for this cause he came into the earth, to heal you. If you have a fear problem, he wants to be your father. He wants you to see that he's perfect as the one that can deliver you from fear. He wants to come and show you what he did to destroy the power of fear. He wants to spend his days ministering to your life. If you have a, a problem with lack, and you feel lack all the time, and you feel darkness or sorrow or sadness all the time, he wants to be your father. He is your father. He's perfect as the one that can fill your heart with abundance. Jesus said, it's the thief that steals, kills, and destroys. When I am come, I am come that you might have a life that's abundant. You know what abundant life is? It's a life that superabounds over all death and all lack. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me, Lord. You know the psalm? What does he say at the beginning? The Lord is my shepherd. I do not lack Right? He never stops working. I love the song. Brian played it last night. All my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I'm going to sing. Of the goodness of God. Because why? What does he say? Your goodness is running after. It's running after me. That's God on the cross, man. We're running away from him. We're hiding our face from God. And he will not be deterred. There is a relentless tenderness in his heart. The ground of all being shook. The heart of all love burst open and the relentless tenderness inside of the heart of God poured out of Him a life that could heal us while we were rejecting Him. He's trying to show us. It's my faithfulness towards you. Let go of whatever you think you can bring to the table other than yourself. I created you naked with nothing. Come to me naked. I will clothe you. Man, I want to pray for anybody that, that wants to be prayed for. And we'll just pray for everybody corporately. Also, listen, if anybody here wants to pray for people, come up here and we'll just pray for one another. And you all have the Holy Spirit. If you feel something in your heart, if you feel you have something to say to me, man, pray for me. I need prayer. You guys might think, oh, he's got it all together. 
I got to be honest, guys. I need prayer sometimes. You know what I need prayer for? That I could speak boldly because I have a weakness because of my upbringing in the world. And I'm not so prideful that I can't admit it. I'm not God. I have weaknesses. You know what my weakness is? I don't want to tell people this stuff if they don't want to hear it. And so it's easy for me to go hide back in the corner if people don't want to hear it. And I need prayer that I could be filled with boldness to declare these things even when people don't want to hear it. And so, man, if anybody wants prayer, man, God is in this room, right? There was that song by Corey, is it Corey Asbury, The Father's House? You guys ever heard that song, The Father's House? Man, you guys should YouTube it and listen to it, The Father's House. The Father is in the room. And He's in the room because He desires to minister life to you. So if you think there's any area in your life that you need to be ministered to, the Father is here. He's in me. He's in you. He's in this room. And His desire is to minister Himself to you. And so if anybody wants prayer, I'm happy. I want to pray for you. If anybody wants to pray for me, I want you to pray for me. If anybody wants, you know, pray for one another. The Father is in you and you're in the Father. You know what I'm saying? I hope that makes sense. And we'll just start with a corporate prayer. Thank you, Father, that your will is to move in our lives, to make everything that's gotten crooked straight that your will is to fill our hearts with abundance, that your will is to put our flesh to rest, that your will is to purify our hearts from fear. Thank you, Father, that you're here, that you're with us. Thank you, Father, that your spirit moves as your spirit wills, and we know that your spirit wills to reveal you to everyone. Father, I just thank you that you can be revealed to all the people in this room, that a great light could shine in the midst of whatever darkness is going on in their life, that they can clearly see you there with them, that they could see your hand resting upon their head, that they could see your hand ministering life to them, that they could see your hand causing all the darkness in this world to pass over them. Thank you, Father, that you're in the room persuading people that you are enough, that you are more enough, that more than enough, that you have warred against everything in this world that tries to war against our lives. Thank you, Father, that people be comforted with your presence, that they see you with them clearly in their hearts. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thank you guys so much for... It's, I know it was a long message. And so, have mercy on my soul. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, hit stop. Thank you.